morning, I have a question for you. And you're going to hear me say it over and over again. The title of my message is, Which One Are You? But I'm going to start off with a story of my sister-in-law, Cheryl. She took our nephew, Ian, to the mall to watch a movie. And all the details are fuzzy because Ian's almost 28 years old now. And he was, you know, like four when this happened. But I think he was in the movie with her, and he went to the bathroom or get popcorn or something. Nevertheless, Cheryl's movie was over, and she's looking for Ian, and she can't find him anywhere. And that panic set into her. like, ah! I mean, if you have a kid and you lost your kid, there's that panic that goes on there naturally. But when it's not even your kid that you lost, and she's searching everywhere, she's getting with the mall security, the, the movie theater security, they're trying to find Ian and Ian was fine. Ian had gotten more popcorn and went into another movie and was sitting on the front row just eating popcorn and just having a grand old time, oblivious that everyone was upset and that everyone was looking for him. But that moment of panic for Cheryl, and her, when she finally got him, she just like was losing it. And then she got home and she gave um, Ian back to his mom, Mickey. And she's like, ah, and she just like was frazzled. And she was like, and all the mothers in the room can feel that ah, in your heart, just thinking about losing your son or <clears throat> someone else lost your child. But I began thinking about how much effort we put into one person who's lost. How much effort we put into someone who's lost. So there's a whole lot expended when that happens. So if someone is snowboarding or skiing and then they don't come back at the time they're supposed to and you, you have to go look for them, figure out where they're at and what happened and why are they delayed. And Someone's boating out on Lake Louisville or Lake Whitney or some of the other lakes that we have here in Texas and, and they don't come home at the right time. We send out search parties the Coast Guard and the Texas Wildlife and the Sheriff's Office and the police and the helicopters and search parties and it just goes on. How much effort is expended by that? How much do people just drop what they're doing to go out there and just search and just try their hardest to find that one person who's missing? A murder investigation. Someone, one person gets murdered. The hundreds of thousands of dollars that it's spent to find out what happened and find the conclusion and to bring to justice. And all of these situations, they don't go to the, the family when it's all done and say, okay, here's your bill from the sheriff's office, here's your bill from the police department, from the Coast Guard, for the helicopters, for all the. <clears throat> we don't do that. We put a tremendous price on the value of one person. Remember the old days, if you're old like I am, that the milk jugs used to have a picture on the side of somebody who's missing? We're so interested in that one person. Today we have Amber Alerts. They'll go off on our phone. We'll see it on the, the driving by on the interstate. and Everywhere it's going to be on the news. It's going to be everywhere. We're looking for one person. How much effort 
do we as a society put into one person who's missing or lost? Then there's the silver alerts, the people that are elderly that they've got dementia or they're supposed to be home and don't know where they're at. Alzheimer's. We have all of this effort we put into finding one person. The military has a policy that there's no man left behind. Recently, we had this whole controversy about whether you're going to stand or kneel for the, the, the pledge, or the national anthem, sorry. And someone who used to be a ranger went out there and he stood when his whole team just stayed in the tunnel and there's a big controversy and there's a picture of him just standing out there proudly, you know, saluting his hand over his heart for the thing. And, and I saw an interview after the fact and, and the family were talking about him it wasn't his family. See, he'd went with his friend, I believe it was to Afghanistan, and as they're over there fighting, the friend was killed in action. But he wasn't going to leave his friend there in another country. So he put his friend all on his shoulders, and he carried him out. Now imagine the grief of seeing your friend killed. But now you've got his dead body weight on you. And he didn't have to just carry him to the back wall. He had to carry him for a long, long ways. So when they're interviewing people about him standing up for the national anthem, they said, you don't understand who this man is. He brought home the best gift that he could have brought us, considering the circumstances. He brought us back, my brother, my son, that we can properly bury him, that we can properly have a place where we can go and celebrate his service. So that man is an amazing man. The value of one person. You know what it took for him to carry them that long? That's tiring with all the other stuff they've got on their shoulders, all their packs. He pushed through. I admire that about people. See, but not all countries are like that. There are countries where people are expendable. If some one person is missing, unless you're super, super important or rich or something, no one's looking for you. People don't care. See, Jesus talks about a similar situation. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came out to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Shame on you, Jesus. How would you dare eat with sinful people? So Jesus told them this story. I love how Jesus knew what was going on. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he found it? And when he is found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together all of his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents 
and returns to God than even over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus says, the heart of the Father is all about that one person. See, because you could look, if you had 100 and you lost one, you're like, hey, 99% isn't bad. I mean, it's a pretty high percentage. I mean, what's one sheep? I mean, come on, really. It's, it's like nothing. You know, we, we did really good. We, we got 99, you know, one, you know. We'll just, that's, we'll just write that one off. Jesus is like, the heart of the Father is for that one person. The good shepherd leaves the 99 for one. So my question is, which one are you? Which one? Who is the one for you? We just finished up in August, the 21 days of prayer. And in the middle of that, on page 26, there's a place that we could write down someone that we believe is far from God, and we're believing for them. And we expanded it from 1 to 10. And my list, Lenore and I sat here yesterday morning at prayer and prayed over my entire list. I think mine's closer to 80 or something, and Lenore's is like 120. <coughs> But I'm focusing on that one. And I'm expanding that out a little bit more. Who's that one for you? Why do we care? Why do we put any effort into that? Because heaven and hell are real places. This week, many people passed away and the United States in this area and around the whole area. There's a man who used to sit in these seats. His name was Rod. Rainwater. He used to come and worship here with the previous church and he came with us a few times. And he passed away this week. There was a service for him and his family are talking about how they love him and miss him. Was it on the evening news? No news magazines are talking about his passing. But also, this week, another person who's more notable passed away, and that's Hugh Hefner. The two people died in the same time period, yet everybody's talking about Hugh Hefner dying. The celebrities are being interviewed about how they're devastated by the loss, and my wife and I had dinner last night, and it was in all the TVs. And everybody's just crying. They've cried their makeup off, and it's just, oh, it's just drama. And then, of course, the stories start swirling out there of, you know, what, what's happening. And, you know, this man, and I heard someone on the radio say, well, undoubtedly he's in hell. And, you know, talking about all the different judgments that he had put on him and just... It really is troubling because we don't know where anyone's at. But then Pastor Mike Maiden wrote on his Facebook, and I want to read it to you. Because I think it puts it in perspective. Pastor Mike says, A cultural icon died today. A man who influenced his generation unlike very few ever have. Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy, helped lead the, cha- the charge of introducing 
and normalizing pornography to an entire generation. Very few others in U.S. history have caused such a horrific damage to the fabric of homes, marriages, and the treatment of women and the soul of men as this pioneer in evangelism of pornography did. Yet, although he may seem to be, as the apostle said, the chief of sinners, if Hugh Hefner received Jesus as his Savior, he was joyfully welcomed into heaven by God himself. For you see, there's no sin or sinner that the relentless love and amazing grace of our God can't forgive and redeem. I hope that in his lifetime, Mr. Hefner said yes to Jesus. And I pray that you also discover the great friend and forgiver of sinners, who is Jesus. When I read that, I love that. Because we don't know what anyone's decisions were before they pass away. We don't know what he did in his life. But if he didn't make that decision, then the life that he lived was the best it was going to be. Jesus also talks about that, and I see a, a strong comparison in this too. A little bit further in Luke, verse 16, says Jesus in verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. See the comparison? At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Ew. Everybody says, ew. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. See, he had not made the opportunity to accept God. He had rejected God. He hadn't listened to God calling him and the writing in the Bible and the Torah. His soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Now who's begging? Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in the water and to cool my tongue. Do you see he's still telling Jesus, he's still telling people what to do. Okay, send him over here to me. How arrogant. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And beside there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. You've made your decisions when you're living. See, there will be a 100% believing rate in hell. There won't be any atheists or agnostics in hell. No one can cross over because your decisions are made here and now. And no one can cross over to us from there. Your decisions 
are your decisions. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up here in this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. He's like, if someone will just appear from the dead, and that's so much of our society today, let's, let's hear from the dead, and let's do all these things, and all this focusing on the, the afterlife, and hearing from there. Abraham says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen if someone rises from the dead. He was worried about his family. He realized that sinking feeling that his decisions had put him in forever in anguish. But he didn't want them to come here. He wants somebody to go for them. That rich man undoubtedly lived a life of high esteem. Probably had a big funeral. Probably lots and lots of people there put on their Sunday best. You know, they're looking good. Perhaps people came out of the woodwork hoping for an inheritance, looking for some money to come out of it. We're going to see a lot of fanfare in the weeks surrounding Hugh Hefner's funeral. Can I ask you a question? Do we share the same resolve to go after ones in our lives that don't know God? Or is it just if they get lost on the lake or snowing? Or an amber alert. Or silver alert. Is there a sense of urgency? See, what is the true value of one life? What is the ultimate value of one life? See, when someone's lost, they don't come home. Very often, unfortunately, sadly, It's not a good discovery when you find them. In our life, even if we live to be 120 like I want to, like it's my goal, it's just a blip on the map of eternity. We'll spend all this energy and all this effort, spend Hundreds of thousands of dollars to find one person. But what do we do for those people who haven't made Christ their Lord yet? Where's our sense of urgency? What is the true value of one life? Where then is the one? Are they your next door neighbor? Is it the person that you run across when you go to the gym? A coworker, somebody's beside you. Maybe it's a family member like the parable that Jesus told. What do they look like? Which one are you?
Which category do you fall in? Are you in the 99? Are you the one that was there with the 99 and walked away? You may say, I'm, if I'm honest, I'm far from God right now, Pastor Kevin. Or maybe you say, I've never prayed that prayer ever. I've never accepted Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? Which one are you? Where do you fit into this whole picture? What will the preacher say at your funeral? Is he going to have to lie to make you sound good? Try and give a false hope to your family? (coughs) Which one There's many people watching us online right now and people who watch the podcast or watch the videos later and the podcast during the week. In addition to the people that are in the room with me right now. Which one are you? Where do you fall into this whole scheme of eternity? I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to be counted in that same opportunity that the rich man's asking Abraham to send to his family. So if it's your first time or another time, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to invite anybody forward. I'm not going to do anything at all. This is between you and God. It's a personal relationship. If you want to be counted in, I just want you to simply pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I want you. I surrender my life to you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm trying to live life on my own. Be the Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe that you died. You were buried. You rose again. I put my faith in you today. And I declare you as my Lord, my God, and my friend. Today I give you my life, my everything. In the best way I know how, to serve you forever. Which one are you? Are you in the 99? Are there people around you that you need to switch your intentionality to? Can we get a seriousness about heaven and hell 
to be uncomfortable. You've heard me tell the story before of God telling me where he's called me to be, that I'm not comfortable there. People aren't comfortable when we invite them to church. Am I willing to be uncomfortable to earn the right for them to be uncomfortable? Father God, this morning, I pray that I'm not the only one challenged by this message. But Lord, the same way we will turn our lives upside down when there's somebody lost on a lake. And an amber alert. On a silver alert. Like that man went through such great hardship to bring that body of his friend home. That will not just put that much effort, as wonderful as it is, into this natural life. That we will truly get a glimpse of the value of one life and eternity. And we'll step outside of our comfort zone. Not about building a church. Not even about joining a church. But about the perspective that that rich man had when he'd made the wrong decisions. God, we give this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.